Five things to watch for for the next 20 games for the Utah Jazz, which leads to the question, what do we possibly do when everyone's healthy? It's all next on Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I am David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. Today on Locked on Jazz, five things to look for in the next 20 games for the Utah Jazz as we embark on the second kind of quarter of the season tonight in Dallas and what those most important things are. One thing you want to hear, I don't have in there. We'll discuss that as well. Then we've got Fifth question, which is the JC's question, John Collins and Jordan Clarkson leading the question is, what do we do with the lineup when everyone is back? We play Dallas tonight. Some interesting clutch numbers on Dallas. Everyone's doubling Luka. It's led to a phenomenon across the league. I think it's wrong. We're talking about all that on today's show. I am David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. We are free and available on all podcasting apps as well as on YouTube. So join the chat by being a participant on YouTube. Please like the video. There's a whole YouTube silly algorithm where if we get more comments than likes, it's a problem. So please like the video. We'll greatly appreciate if you take the time to do that and chat with me at DLock09 on X uh, as we try to uh, communicate. So great stuff there. Uh, thank you very much to all of you who made Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. And thanks to all of you that are everydayers that make this thing click. Love the raps. Thank you so much for sending me those. Uh, just makes my day and, frankly, energizes me and motivates me to, to keep going. All right, what to watch for in the next 20 games? I think the biggest story in the next 20 games, more than wins or losses, is the line in the sand. Will Hardy said it in Portland. He said, if you don't pass and you don't play hard, you don't play. And then if you don't give a beep about the – if you're going to play for the Utah Jazz, you got to give a beep about the Utah Jazz. And that was the line in the sand, that there was a, a, a level of expectation – of how <clears throat> how they're going to play, what to expect, um, a kind of a, a way to hold themselves and respect the game, the fan base, the franchise, and we were not hitting that. There was it was clearly not an acceptable level. I this to me does not equate to wins and losses. I just want to be clear. I I do still think the team is talent deficient when marked up against some of the best teams in the league. Um, I think some of the, the wins actually recently have been fairly remarkable uh, without Lowry and without Jordan. So great credit. And that's what I think it allows you to do is that it might get you an extra win or two that you wouldn't get otherwise. I do think altitude helps us a great deal at home. Um, but I think that that's the first part is the line in the sand uh, of kind of who we are and how we play and what that means to us as a franchise. And by the way, this show is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase when you want to come see any of the next 20 games. All right, so that's the first thing to me is, is the line in the sand. The Stills playing the game the way the Jazz have for the last six games. Um, the defensive rating is back, is in the top four in the NBA in that time period. Um, 
the offense is certainly lacking without Lowry and Jordan, but there's just been a, a style. Uh, we brought back out the pick and roll, ran it 91 times against Portland, but we've been throwing 300-plus passes a game again. Um, so I think there's just that style. The second and most important thing in the next 20 games is Keontae. Like that is still, at this point, the most important thing for the franchise. As as we are 16 months, maybe 17 now, off trading Donovan Mitchell. Actually, still only probably 15. And trading Boyan Bogdanovich and Rudy Gobert. And then fewer months off trading Mike Conley. We're beginning this process of pieces, right? Lowry is a piece. And Keontae... The, the first window we had was trade deadline last year, and we used that to try to, to garner another asset with the Lakers pick. So our first time of acquiring talent on a rebuild, we've only really had one time, two times we've acquired talent. One was the trades of Donovan and Rudy. Those were really to gain assets, and we got what may have been three, frankly, in Lowry, Ochai, and Walker. Kind of incredible. Um, so we have Lowry. So the next time, our number two time of actually acquiring talent, and it's going to take a lot of times of acquiring talent uh, before you actually get yourself back up to the top, was Keontae, Taylor, and Bryce. And, um, you know, all first-round draft picks are not made the same. And Keontae coming up here in Dallas, growing up here, just knew he was an NBA player and has looked the part from the very beginning and been absolutely fabulous uh, with his just kind of chutzpah and style and feel. And now we're watching him get better. Those two, we talked about it yesterday for the everydayers on the those plays late in the game. I thought were just as good as I've seen him look in a long, long time. Uh, just in control, reading, read the first play to the third play of the overtime, drove aggressively to the basket with a power strength move we hadn't seen. He'd been fading away, and that's why, as young players do. So Keontae's development. And so what is that? Defensively, He's fine. He's not good, but he's fine. He's a rookie. Anything that gets better defensively. More pick and roll. We kind of blew threw it out there the other night with 91 of them, which was probably high. Um, but how does he read that? How does he understand that? Pick and roll with he and Walker, frankly. We've seen very, very little of that. That's a combination that we, we need to see. Um, learning where his shots are coming from. Right now, he's just taking every shot that comes to him. It's like whatever it might be there, he takes it. You watch him one night to the next, and none of his shots look the same. You watch the best players in the NBA, and they're getting to their spots and getting to their shots. So watch him begin to learn that uh, along the way. Uh, I think he's really done a good job of game management, but any of these clutch moments is are really vital and important for his development. So um, really great stuff. Uh, from Keontae so far in the process. Now, on the other end, like let's just be like totally honest about things. Keontae in the last five games is shooting 33% from the field and 31% from three. Okay, that has to uptick a little bit. Like there has to be some understanding of where your shots are coming from, what you're getting, how, what shots you can make, what shots you can't. He was not a particularly good rim finisher in college. I don't think he's going to be a particularly good rim finisher in the pros. So how does he deal with that? Um, he didn't, he didn't have the numbers in college that yield you to believe he's going to become a dynamic rim finisher in the NBA, but what can he learn there? So, yeah, I think in the next 20 games, I don't want to see Keontae at 33% is those are the last five games and you can kind of dig into what he is since he's starting, but you know, I, I don't want to set a number on it because I think that's unfair and young guys don't shoot well. My expectation for Keontae this whole season was to probably shoot about 39% for the field and 34, 
5% from three, and I would have called that a win. I think that's what guys do. So far, Keontae is shooting 35 and 31. So can we see that number come up closer to the 40 for the next 20 games and then maybe get to 42, 43 for the final 20 games or the next 20 games, and then somewhere in there he hovers, finally finishes around 38, 39%. Um, Lowry's development. Like, it's still one of the most important things. Right now, Lowry is either the second or third best player on a championship-level team. Can he elevate his game? He's been great so far this year. There's, in 15 games, his numbers are still incredible. 48% from the field, 38% from three. Still going line five times a game. Still garnering nine boards. Like, he's he's really great. Can he... Tyrese Halliburton has taken himself from a 25 player to a 10. Shea did it last year. Those guys are ball handlers. Much harder for someone like Lowry to do that. But what can we see out of Lowry's development? Can we see one or two dribble isolations? Can we see some self-creation? Can we see some self-creation that leads to uh, baskets for teammates, right? Like if you think, I think on Lowry's final five games before the injury, I don't think he had an assist. Like some of that is because one, we, he wasn't getting the ball quite as much. And two is this, he does not hold the ball for an extended period of time, right? He and Luca are probably the exact opposite offensive scores. Luca's all self-created. Lowry's 85%, 80% of the time is on zero to two seconds of touch time. And so what can Lowry do to be able to uh, start to have the ball in his hands longer, bend defenses, begin to create an occasional possession for his teammates, and also self-create uh, baskets for himself. Fourth thing in the next 20 games for this, does someone step up? The same question that was training camp in the first 20 games, and the answer has been kind of Simone, but otherwise kind of no, right? As did any, you know, the word out of camp was that there really wasn't any separation. Right now, this team has Lowry, and then we could all debate who the second best player on this team is. Like, you guys can have a chat room right now. Who's the second best player on this team? I'll throw that out there to the YouTube chat room. Who is the second best player on the Utah Jazz? And um, send it to me on Twitter as well. Um, I, I think it's um, it's a crazy question. And I think there's going to, like, multitude of people would have different answers. That makes Will Hardy's job, and we'll get to this in the next segment, crazy difficult. But, like, we need a second-best player. We need someone to clearly become our second-best player. Not who's going to be our second-best player, but, like, who is the second-best player? And so is anyone going to step up? Colin actually has shown some signs of that recently. Um, but the collection of guys, frankly, no one has exceeded what they were thought of as before the season started other than maybe Simone. And so uh, that would be my fourth thing in the next 20 games to watch for. And the final one is the JC's question. Jordan Clarkson and John Collins both have kind of been set in as starters, have both been kind of set in their spots, and the numbers are ugly. Like, John Collins has scored double figures in every game this year until the last one. He's been wildly consistent, and we are 13 points worse when he's on the floor per 100 possessions than when he's off the floor. Our offense is seven points better when he's off the floor, and our defense is six and a half points better when he's off the floor. What's going on with that? And Jordan Clarkson, who should be our second best player, our offense is three points better per 100 possessions, and the defense is eight points worse. The defensive uptick 
with Simone Fontecchio and Ochai Abaji on the floor instead of Jordan Clarkson has been obvious. So are they just guaranteed starters? Are they guaranteed playing time? Like as much as Will Hardy doesn't want free minutes for youth, I don't think free minutes for veterans works either. So what's their role? And how do they fit in the next 20? And how much do they follow the line in the sand that was set by Will Hardy? Which leads to the next question is, what is the lineup possibly when everybody's healthy and how does it work? And we'll touch on that next because the JC questions lays right into that more than just about anything else you can imagine. Uh, So that's coming up. We're just getting started. We got a ton of great stuff for you. So stay with us here on Locked on Jazz today. This is so fun. This is the eBay Motors guaranteed fit of the week fantasy picks from our guy, Josh Lloyd, the number one fantasy basketball show in the nation, Locked on Fantasy Basketball, and eBay Motors, which is the number one place to make sure you get your guaranteed fit combined for your guaranteed fit fantasy picks of the week. Here's what Josh has to say. Obi Topham is shooting the lights out for the Pacers, and they have a great schedule this week, so jump onto that one. Derek Lively, who the Jazz will see tonight, is playing with great strength and as upside growth. Lively's already flashed that, and... Patrick Williams is back to starting in Chicago as they begin to blow up that franchise, and he may see increased usage. That could be a good play down the road. Those are your guaranteed fits. eBay guaranteed fits from eBay Motors knows a championship team is about every player fitting. Same for your vehicle. For your ride or die, you need every single piece to fit great, whether it's brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever it might be. eBay Motors has 122 million parts to keep you running smoothly. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Your money back, plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or dive alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay, guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items, exclusions apply. It's totally incredible. Make sure you get your eBay Motors guaranteed fit and get your guaranteed fantasy wins from Josh Lloyd of Locked on Fantasy Basketball. What does Will Hardy do when everyone's healthy? My goodness. By the way, Locked On has launched the first ever 24-7 national sports channel on YouTube. It's called Locked On Sports Today, and it's available for you on Locked On Sports Today, a 24-7 stream of Locked On shows one after another, NFL block, NBA blocks, college blocks. It's great. Uh, By the way, for those of you in Dallas that might be listening because we're playing the Mavericks, we also have Locked On Sports Dallas, which is your national uh, local channel. We have them in Dallas, Atlanta, Minnesota, as well as Los Angeles right now. So go check out those Locked On Sports Dallas, Locked On Sports Minnesota, Locked On Sports Atlanta, and Locked On Sports uh, Los Angeles, all available for you 24-7 streaming on YouTube. Locked On Sports today is our national content. Great conversation going on in the YouTube chat about who is the number second best player on the Utah Jazz, um, which gets to this. So moving forward, I assume, could be totally dead wrong on this, that when Will Hardy has to build a new lineup when everyone comes back, that Keontae and Lowry and I think Walker are guaranteed starters. Walker's a major piece of our puzzle for the future. So is Keontae, so is Lowry. Those three start. 
at some point, Walker goes back in the starting line because partially, frankly, we need to see Walker Kessler and Keontae George together. And right now, Walker Kessler and Keontae George have played 266 possessions together. So it's been dreadful when they've been on the floor together. But we need to see that together. We need to understand if that's a pick and roll combination. We need them to start to learn each other. We need to have them understand how to play off Lowry. Makes sense. Who else starts? And starting can be overplayed. I do somewhat agree with that on coaches. I also disagree a little bit in that, though, frankly, Will has proven this to not be true. In most cases, starters play more minutes than anyone else together. Well, I've had to change that a little bit. I've always said they do, but Will has actually not always been that case. So it's not totally set. So who's, does, do you think that Ochai Abaji or Simone Fontecchio should still start? Now, Simone's done a really nice job recently starting for the Jazz. He's played great energy. His defense has been fabulous. He's He's been in on guys. Um, as he has played more, some of his numbers have begun to decrease, right? Like the burden. Now, without Lowry and without Jordan, I'm not sure this is really a good comparison. He's like basically our number one option right now, which is not what he should be. But in the last five games, you know, you're seeing a three of 12 and a one of eight versus Portland in the win. You're seeing a two of seven from three. You're seeing a four of 13 versus Memphis. Like those, those, but again, maybe not fair. So Simone's shown defensive ability, length. Does he, does he, has he earned himself a rotation spot or has he earned himself a starting spot? He's not a great ball handler. So if you have Keontae and Simone out there, boy, that's like, and Lowry with John Collins and Walker, that's, one ball handler. Really one ball handler. So you're not, I'm not sure you're totally playing that everybody brings the ball up run game. Does Ochai deserve to start? Ochai defends really well. He moves the basketball. He's not interested in possessions. He shoots the corner three as well as anyone in the NBA. His above the break three is lacking. Um, I'll do a research project here at some point of whether or not one usually yields to the other. Um, you know, he's started the last two games and, and played fairly well. Again, you know, he doesn't take a lot of shots, he, but he's not a great ball handler. He is a ball mover. So if you think Ochai or Fontecchio should start, then either John Collins or Jordan Clarkson has to be out of the lineup. If you think both of them should start, then both of them are out of the lineup. Do you go Keontae, Ochai, Fontecchio, Lowry, and Walker? Are you going Keontae, Ochai, Lowry, John, Walker? Are you going Keontae, Fontecchio, Lowry, John, Walker? Here's one problem, and it's clear they're trying to avoid this. John and Walker, to open the year together, were a minus 22 per 100 possessions. Second offensive, in the second percentile offensively, in the fourth percentile defensively. Like, just horrendous. There's a lot of numbers that show that, though. And so I'm not sure the sample size is huge on it. And I, and Walker wasn't particularly good in that part. So um, I'm not sure it's a great, but it's worth kind of. John and Omir, Yerksaven, are in the 6th percentile offensively. So the same problem exists, but they're in the 96th percentile defensively, which is weird that John and Walker would be in the 4th percentile defensively and John and Omir would be in the 96th percentile, like the exact opposites. Um. So I think that's an interesting, like, 
And does Omer Yerkshaven, in your mind, deserve to start? Maybe. He's been great. But I do think that Walker's really an important part of our future. And so you probably need Walker and Keontae back together. So, like, there's the first question. And then we're back into all this discussion about playing pairs and all these various things that Will Hardy talked about at the beginning of the year. And, like, do you have enough ball handlers? And do you have enough defenders? And are we going to try to defend? Like, we really didn't defend at all. We are 28th, 29th in the league defensively. We were 30th against drives. We were 30th against pick and rolls. We were 30th in half-court defense. Like, that's what we were when we were starting John Collins and Jordan Clarkson together. And at some point, are we going to decide, like, actually, we're not doing that? And then what do you do with the JCs? Right? Those should be our second-best players, and they probably haven't been. All right, so if you go with yes on either Ochai or Fontecchio, and you're with me on Walker, Lowry, Keontae, you have to bump one of them. The other one that gets crazy here is what do you do about Omir? He's been really good. Are we just playing? Are we playing 48 minutes of traditional center? And so then John's not playing center anymore. Because we really were, the way we were getting everyone enough minutes is that John was playing center. But Walker right now is on a heater defensively. He is having massive impact on on what we do defensively, the way he's playing it. And we're better defensively when we're playing 48 minutes of centers. When John Collins has played center this year, our offensive rate, our defensive rating is a 121. When Omer Yerksaven has played center this year, our defensive rating is a 109. It's in the 84th percentile. And when Kelly Olenek has played center this year, which is really what we were doing, kind of backup either John or Kelly, we're at a 117. So John's at a 121, Kelly's at a 117, and Omer Yerksaven's really good. So what do we do about our backup center? And let's say you decide from those numbers that our role of our backup center or our starting center, frankly, if it's going to be Omir, is to make sure that we're good defensively. And so we decide we're going to 48 minutes of center because John and Kelly are really hybrids that aren't, that's not their strength. That's not their superpower. So don't ask them to do it, right? Like that's the Will Hardy rule. Like don't sit around and talk about someone can't do, then ask them to do it and then complain they can't do it. Like, okay, Will and John are not defensive centers. Excuse me, uh, John and Kelly are not defensive centers. So if you want a defensive center and you decide, okay, we're going to be better defensively, you've got to be, we want a defensive center. So Omir and, and Walker are going to play center for most of our 48 minutes. Then where are Kelly and John getting their minutes? There still can be some Kelly, Lowry, Walker minutes together. And we're trying, is John playing a backup power forward now? With Lowry as a starting, like depending what you've just done here, have you slid Lowry to the four because you don't want John and Walker comboed together? Or are you going to try that again? Sample size was pretty small. You might try that again. But let's say you decide Jordan Clarkson's starting because we need a ball handler and a scorer. But you want Fontecchio in the lineup, so now you're suddenly going to Keontae, Clarkson, Fontecchio, Lowry, Walker. Omir is your backup center because you've decided to play 40. There's a lot of ifs here. Now, where's John Collins and Kelly Olenek fit in? Some can get the backup four minutes. Lowry can get some three minutes still, but it's hard. You're adding Omir Yerksaven to the rotation. And if you noticed, in my 20 games, I didn't mention Taylor Hendricks. For this reason a little bit, 
And because I think the next 20 games are more important for Taylor Hendricks to play with the Salt Lake Stars. If the if the growth of the first eight or nine games of him and the Salt Lake Stars, let's do that for 20 more. That's, now, hey, with Lowry out, Kelly out, he's going to have to play again tonight. But when everyone's healthy and back, I think it's Taylor's, the, the, the value Taylor's getting out of 33, 34 minutes in Wojo's system and playing and getting that time and that floor time, he's he's just short on his Gladwellian 10,000 hours. And he's short on his Gladwellian 10,000 hours as this kind of a level of a guy. So let's go, let's go get it. So that's my my thought on this is I don't have Taylor Hendricks in this conversation and I didn't have him in what to watch for the next 20 games because I think maybe we're watching for him in the next 20 games after that. Maybe games 40 to 60 are Taylor Hendricks games if he has a good 20 games in the G League. And that's a big deal. Like, he, he can't, you know, until we get healthy, he can't get there. But let's just say he's playing 35 minutes a night in the G League for 20 games. That's 700 minutes compared to probably getting 70 in the NBA in that same time period. Maybe maybe 140, but not a lot, right? Average 10, probably would average about 10 minutes a night with us, a little less not playing every night. So it's a huge difference. So let's let the next 20 games for Taylor Hendricks be G League games and let him continue this development, which has been really fabulous so far. So I think it's wildly interesting how this is all playing out. All right, we're going to see everyone double Luca. Everyone doubles Luca, but now everyone doubles everyone. And I think it's a little nutty. I think we've lost our bearings a little bit. I will share that as we continue here on Locked on Jazz. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Game Time. Game Time is the official ticketing app of Locked on. They do fabulous work, and they uh, really, for me, hit the key things. I want to be able to see my seats. If I don't know the arena, particularly like if I'm out of somewhere, I want to be able to see my seats. Two, I want my seats to come to me easy, right? I don't want to have to go through four different push buttons and this and that and these and those to be able to go find my seats. And I would like to know that I don't need to look at five different apps of ticketing things, this group and that group and these group to make sure I'm getting the best price. Well, game time hits all of those. So they have deals on tickets right at the start of the event at the last second if you want if you want to. They also have their zone deals to give you good deals. And then they have the price guaranteed, which is if you find your tickets in the same section or row for less, they'll give you 110% of the difference. You can see the view of your seat. You get all-in pricing, and you can buy your sec- tickets in seconds with two taps. So right now, take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime and download the GameTime app and create an account and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. It's a promo code LOCKEDONNBA, Game Time app, $20 off. It's all kind of a good deal for everyone involved. Go check it out right now. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. Greatly appreciate all of you who do and the everydayers. You're the best. Locked On Sports Today is your 24-7 stream to go grab. So I'm I'm mesmerized by clutch time. We have not done a lot of late game watches recently. We will. I'm still I'm still doing them. I just we haven't included them in the show in a little bit. And we're gonna see tonight where we're gonna double Luca every time he comes up the floor, maybe in the whole game, uh, if Kyrie doesn't play, but also late in the game because that's what everyone does. And Dallas, by the way, just to put it in perspective, is now eight and two in the clutch. 
with the sixth best offense in the league. We're the fourth best offense in the league in the clutch, by the way. Give Will Hardy a lot of credit for that. Because I think doubling at 45 feet, even Luka Doncic might be insanity. It was insanity in the old days. I think it's still insanity. These guys are so, anyone who's on the floor at the end of the game is such a good catch and shoot guy. It's like giving up a 40% three. And I got it. The numbers on Luka get awfully close to deciding this is a good idea. But the other night I watched the LA Clippers double Reggie Jackson 45 feet away from the ball because he was hot. We've literally lost our minds. So a few thoughts for you on this. Clutch play is becoming more efficient than it's ever become. I mean, it sounds minor, but like in 17-18, clutch play was 1.10 points per possession. Now it's up to 1.16. Two years ago, it was 1.14. 19-20, it was 1.38. It's now 1.16. The shot that is happening more now in clutch than used to be happening is the corner three. There's a rise in corner threes. And there's actually a rise in shots in the restricted area. So those are the two best shots. Six years ago, 7% of shots in the clutch were corner threes. Now 11% of shots are corner threes. Why? Because we're doubling the ball at 45 feet. They're swinging it around and guys are wide open in the corner. Teams shoot 41% of their shots in the clutch as threes. However, where's my note on this? Listen to this. Golden State is shooting 57% of their shots in the clutch as threes. Dallas is shooting 56% of their shots in the clutch as threes. Minnesota's shooting 41, 51. Boston's shooting 51. Sacramento's shooting 51. We have five teams in the NBA that in the clutch are shooting over half their shots as threes. They're all good. Sacramento six and three in the clutch. Boston seven and four. Minnesota seven and one. Dallas is eight and two. And Golden State's eight and eight. The teams that don't shoot shots, their shots in clutch in the three all have losing records. In fact, as crazy as this is, and as weird as this is, are you ready? And I don't know how far I'm willing to go on this, but if you suddenly go sort this year's teams by percentage of shots in threes, and we start at 20. The, here is the answer. On the These are the bottom 11 teams in percentage of shots taken in clutch, and here are their records. Two and six, five and six, one and nine, three and eight, five and six, four and six, five and five, seven and five, five and six, six and five, four and five. So of the bottom 11 teams in the NBA and shooting threes in the clutch, nine of them have a losing record. If you want to take the top 10 teams in the league and shooting clutch in the three, all but two of them have a winning record. That's just shooting. I didn't say about making. I just said shooting. Feels like a weird little data point, but it leads me to think that this idea that you're just taking the ball out of I got it. I know why you're taking the ball out of Luca's hands. The press conference afterwards sucks if he scores 12 points. And because of the fact that, like, he's he's Luca, and maybe Luca and Steph are the ones that have to do it. But Dallas and last year shot fifty four percent of their shots in of in the clutch as threes, and the Warriors shot fifty three. 
and Boston shot 47, and Indiana shot 46. And the winning records for the season, quite frankly, were not as divergent as they are right now. But frankly, the losing records still were. The teams that didn't shoot threes in the clutch were teams that didn't win games. Maybe because they didn't have good shooters that weren't willing to shoot, and you got to have shooters to shoot. But the okay. But it's an interesting offense in the clutch is self-created 53% of the time. In the playoffs, it goes up to 58. The minute you're doubling, it's not self-created anymore. I just, I got it tonight. Like, today, I'm talking about, like, I got it tonight. Like, you got to double Luka. Like, he's he's flipping Luka, right? Like, his isolation game is that good. Though he's not this year, actually, frankly, as dominant. But when I watch this league right now, we I think we've gotten out of whack on how much we double late. It started with Harden. And I got it. Like, Luka on a isolation is a 1.13. Like, it's incredible. If it's a direct, it's a 1.15. Like, it's it's really incredible. And so if you can get a 36% three-point shooter to take a three, and Luka's on a, and, you know, Shea's 1.2. Shea's a four, like, you kind of have to double those guys. Right? Because that's a 38% three. So I got it. I'm not like I'm not trying to criticize coaches for this. These guys are that great in isolation. They they may be the two, frankly. Like I'm not sure there's I think we're I think we've gone my I think my point a little bit is we've gone a little nutty on how many guys we're doing this to that they get a they get a little bit of a heater going on and we decide to do it. Like of the top 60 guys who actually live in isolation, the only guys whose numbers are really that dramatic are Tyrese Halliburton, James Harden, Shea Gilgis Alexander, like you know, Darren Fox is right on up there, and you're dealing with Stefan Luca. You're dealing with five or six guys that, and then you got Dame. Like you got guys that really bend your mind on this. It's really incredible of how great these offensive players have become. And maybe that is the answer, or maybe it's zone. I don't know, but it's nutty what's going on in the league. And maybe there are just enough guys now that are so good that you have to deal with them and double. I mean, Luca on a direct isolation is 1.15 points. Which is, by the way, right about what points per possession the clutch is. 1.15. That's right about where it is. So it's not as though that's vastly exceeding what everyone does in the clutch. What Tyrese Halliburton is doing right now is stupid. 1.3. Steph Curry's 1.2. 1.16. James Harden's 1.2 still. By the way, James Harden's not the problem in LA. De'Aaron's at 1.19. These guys are great. Trying to guard someone one-on-one is great. Boxing one? is bi- What do we think? Like, There's some other answer than doubling at 45 feet. That's my thought to this. Someone's going to have to figure it out. Have a great day. Enjoy the game tonight. Ron and I will be on the call 6.30 Mountain Time. Jazz and the Mavericks available for you on Jazz. Plus, I will now send you to the first ever 24-7 national sports stream on YouTube. Locked on sports today. Have a great day.